Ms. Ostapenko has no challenges remaining. Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Timani Carriol in his hometown of London, where the tennis world is in southwest London. You're in South London, I believe. So Southwest, yeah, Southwest. Yeah, so Southwest, uh, the tennis world is there. How does it feel to have tennis in your extended backyard this time of year? It's overwhelming and exhausting and... <laughs> And a lot, but in, in a good way. Another Wimbledon. I'm, I'm excited for the tournament to actually begin because at least for, for, for me, the, the, the week before is sometimes even more, you know, grueling than the actual tournament. So yeah, just, just riding this wave and looking forward to the, to Monday. Yeah. This is my first time missing Wimbledon, except for not counting pandemic year, obviously. My first time not being there since 2012. So I am uh, missing it for sure more than the French Open, honestly. And I just like grass court tennis. I like a lot of things about it. Bummed not to be there, but hopefully this will be the last, I think this will be getting back on tour relatively soon to wrap up this book. But I'm happy to have you on the ground there. Um, have you been to, to site yet? I know it's gone through a lot of changes and stuff on the media side. Yeah, I've been on, I've been on site. There have been a lot of renovations. There's a new um, press conference room and... They've made some changes just to the grounds that you know, to increase like the tunnel on, under the grounds so that players can move more freely and and in different different areas and mm. and they're also renovating the media facilities so there's a lot of change yeah but there's also I went to Wimbledon Qualies and, and that's very different well, next time you're here and you, you see uh, how, how different it is I'm sure you remember you know years ago pre sharp over. <laughs> pre doping which, which somehow ended up changing everything when yeah. you, when you could go you could go to Wimbledon Qualies for free and it was just it felt like it was just in a random park with white lines and some portaloos that players would use but now it's it's still the same it's in the same area and, and similar but a lot more of an event and with you know food stands and yeah and Wimbledon merch you know yeah, let's, places to let's buy discuss, let's discuss qualifying briefly and it works well and then we have a couple other different non-draw topics. Yeah, Wimbledon qualifying is one of my favorite weeks of the year for sure. I love that. I actually was disappointed in 2021 when there were still a lot of pandemic restrictions. They didn't let anybody go to qualifying. So that was that was tough that year. But yeah, it's when I first went to Wimbledon qualifying, when I went first time before I was a journalist at all, really, in 2008, I was there in London for that summer. And and I think it actually didn't even change that much the first time I covered it in person, even in 2013. It was still like, is yeah, it's just basically it just was like a huge field. They just happened to draw some lines on, and like vaguely divide. And there's like no, there was no seating. There was like you could sit on a hill, and then there were like maybe a cumulative sixty like lawn chairs, like cheap plastic chairs that could be picked up and carried around between different courts. And that was it. <laughs> and people did that. And people and did people that. did that absolutely. <laughs> and those those chairs were like precious commodities. If you got a chair, you like wanted to hang on to it, but otherwise you're just there. And they still have this um, in the main stretch of this sort of iconic shot of Wimbledon qualifying in Roehampton, and which is people don't know, don't know it's offsite. It's not held at the All England Club where the Wimbledon Championships are. It's the only tournament that does offsite qualifying, just because they don't want to chew up the court so much with all these qualifying matches. There's this shot of like the one through ten, number one through number ten courts that are all in a row and have basically aisles between each of them that are basically smaller than like my sort of wingspan i could reach out and have art my hands in both courts essentially at a time if i was at full stretch and i'm not like i'm not 
LeBron wingspan wise. Like, you know, it's not, not very much space we're talking about here <laughs> where it almost feels rude. If you're like watching one match, you like have your back turned to another match. So it can feel kind of rude sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, but it's great. And it's, it's really organic and approachable and cool. I had a friend, uh, Tucker, I don't know if he's listening, who was there for the first time this year and he loved it. I think it's a really cool, like tennis uh, bucket list destination for real tennis fans for Rohampton. So, and it had the best match of the decade, uh, last decade, center bolt in qualifying 2019. Yep. Uh, yeah. Best men's match of the decade easily. People dispute that, but they're, but they're wrong. <laughs> they, they, they didn't say it, so they can't say. Exactly. Well, they do say, but we were there and we know, we know, we know what we saw. Yeah. It was the best. We know the um, truth. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so, but now to put this, so what you're alluding to in 2017, Maria Sharapova was poised to play Wimbledon qualifying because they weren't going to give her a wild card after she came back from her, her doping suspension, which got reduced. Da, da, da. Anyway, they were building these like a stand and like camera positions to like be able to broadcast these matches for the first time. Um, and then Sharapova wound up pulling out because she got injured in Rome that year, I believe, and didn't wind up playing yeah. anyway. And yeah, she didn't go in the end, but they still slowly had this like buildup of, of, adding a little bit more to time. And then eventually uh, they started building a more permanent sort of dug in stadium a little bit, but it's not a stadium really, but they were already working on it construction wise last year. I remember when I was there, you could already kind of see the footprint of it a yeah. little bit. So it, it's changing slowly. They added like in 2020, they added a bunch of food trucks, which were actually, or, you know, food, those stalls, which was actually a great addition to it. Cause it's like very, very bare bones. I know this year they kind of blocked off some more exclusive areas for players only because it used to be like you could go up pretty much yeah. everywhere the players could go, minus locker rooms. You sort of could go in their restaurant if you were just a random person and stuff. Anyway, it's a very romantic place, and it's great because it's just like one of my favorite days of the year. It's always last day of women qualifying because just the, the seeing people make it out of this field <laughs> and to get the tickets to qualify in this like ultimate like Willy Wonka golden ticket situation to go to Wimbledon, I find I find very cool. It's just a, it's a it's a you get a lot of the best reactions, I think, of all year in terms of people qualifying for Wimbledon, especially for the first time. And there's often, a lot of times, there's new names because it's grass and the results are kind of quirky. You do get a lot of first-timers pretty much every year, including Mira Andreva, who was probably the headliner this year at qualifying. Actually, let's get to some, before we get to the draws, including Mira Andreva, let's talk about a couple topics, news topics that have happened in the past couple weeks. First one, I think it's the most fun one, is the announcement yesterday, just yesterday? Um, from Caroline Wozniacki in Vogue, in a first-person essay in Vogue, which, as I tweeted, is how all the tennis women's tennis news gets broken these days, in first-person essays in Vogue, following her, her buddy Serena there, Caroline Wozniacki announced that she's returning to the, the tour, uh, starting in Montreal, probably next month when you hear this, it's going to be in August. Wozniacki's back, she retired at the 2020 Australian Open right before the pandemic kicked in, so she beat there, that also wound up being Maria Sharapova's last uh, tournament, as it worked out, that 2020 Australian Open. Uh, Wozniacki is turning 33, so still, you know, not at a normal age to be retired, uh, but also not an unheard of age to be still playing on tour. She's had two kids since she came back. She looks like she's in great physical shape. You know, she's, I think she played Legends in Paris, or at least she was practicing in Paris, and yeah. she's posted, yeah. you know, workout photos and stuff. Things, and, yeah. yeah. She looks fit. She says in her, in her, in her essay, I mean, she set the bar high in this essay, she said, like, I feel like I'm hitting the ball better than ever. I could I win the US Open? Sure. Australian Open? Sure. You know, like the confidence is is real and it's there. And 
it's intriguing. You know, I, it's not a shock because she had been sort of around more and had been doing a little bit more fitnessy kind of stuff. So, and she's not that, you know, and also just so many WTA retirements don't stick, honestly, historically, uh, especially when you do retire your first one at a little bit of a younger age. And she did have the rheumatoid arthritis, which was a factor. Um, but yeah, Tamani, what were your reactions to this news and what are your expectations for what Wozniacki can do uh, in the tour and in in the rest of 2023 in the hardcourt season and beyond? I wasn't really surprised, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I, I saw her at, at the French Open when she was, as you said, she, she was doing broadcasting and also playing the, the Legends uh, doubles. And I, I saw her on the practice court. She was on, you know, she was on the practice court um, lists quite a lot. So I, I went out to see her um, at Jean Bois, the, the Roland Garros practice course. And mm. it's just a very nostalgic moment watching um, Wozniacki and Rodvanska hitting together. Um, mm. Like at least half of it was just just them just like chatting <laughs> and talking at the net, but just, just funny to see that whole uh, a matchup and a, a pairing we, we've seen for a long time playing together. And I think, as you said, she they love their tennis. Young. The two of them, it's not infatuation. <laughs> That's a great great reference. Um, <laughs> and yeah, she, she she looks as you said, she looks in, in great shape. It's, I, mean, it's, I think it's hard to tell, to be honest about how it will go. Uh, she's she's young enough to come back and, and be successful, I think. Would have helped her to take some time off. She, As we know, she's, she was really successful from a, an extremely young age, and she w- went on and on without taking really a break. Um, and, you know, from when she, she got to number one in 2010, and when she won her um, her first time at the Australian Open in 2018, you know, it was just year after year of the grind of the tour, and of course she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, so it makes sense, as we know, like when when players take time away from the tour, um, it can be refreshing, and and it can, you know, they can come back and feel really good on the court, but it's also really difficult, Um, yeah, it's not not an easy task, and, and we'll just see how how high she can get. I mean, we're seeing, looking at her contemporaries like Victoria Azarenka, who, who made the Australian Open semi-final this year, but has also struggled a lot. It's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, no, it's definitely not easy. And there's so many different examples of, you know, on the low end of comebacks, like Marian Bartoli attempted to come back, for example, years after her retirement, and um, she never got to a single tour event. I mean, she played an exhibition, Madison Square Garden tiebreak tennis event against Serena, and then... I don't think she was ever even on the entry list for a tournament in the end. Um, and then, you know, the most recent, let's say, Kim Kleister's comeback, uh, the one that started right before the pandemic uh, in 2020, that didn't lead anywhere productive, honestly, on, on tour. She yeah. didn't win. She played okay, but didn't win almost any matches, if any. I'm trying to remember. Didn't win a match. Didn't win a match. Yeah, didn't win a match. And so, and, and she was older. She was in her 30s, and it was already sort of her second run. The first Kleister's comeback is kind of the fairy tale one that people point to when she had retired from the sport, came back in 2009, won the U S open in just her third tournament back with her daughter in tow. Beat Wozniacki in the final. Beat Wozniacki in that final. That's kind of full circle there for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, and then, you know, and we also have, speaking of just maternity comebacks, we have Svitolina doing that now. She wasn't officially retired. Naomi Osaka is coming back next year. Also um, plans to, you know, she wasn't officially retired, although she was kind of a bit, uh, on shakier footing in terms of what she was doing in 2022. Yeah, and, and then Serena, obviously, you know, what Serena did very high profile after having her kid. And then Azarenka, too. Uh, Azarenka, you know, who has had moments in her maternity, but both her and Serena 
never quite got back to the level they were at before they left so far, at least for Azarenka. It's not done yet. You, you don't know. And, and it seems like when you said like she could have success, I think it's, it counts it kind of, it's a question of how Wozniacki wants to define success. Like one of my favorite comebacks in terms of post comebacks was the Hingis comeback in 06, where she came back after several years off tour. She, uh, you know, made it to a couple grand slam quarterfinals. She got into the top 10. I believe she made it to the year end championships that year. Uh, she got up to like six or seven in the rankings, I believe, in that in that stint. And that was that was great to see her back. You know, she got some wins over some good players. She beat Venus in a, a Rome final, I believe, that year. And, and so she, you know, won some real events and, and had a made a good I think she'd be happy with that. And then obviously it launched a doubles career that lasted much longer for her after she had a different ban and other you know, different retirement too. But that's like I think kind of like almost the ceiling for me for like a multi year exit. I mean, Kleister's, it depends on what was not going to find success, right? Because I do think that, like, that sort of Hingis, for me, that kind of Hingis thing of being, like, lower top 10 is kind of what I would say is almost like a best-case scenario for her. I don't see her – I think I, – I was looking at the rankings. I think the top three right now women's tennis are pretty strong. Sviantec, yep. Sabalenka, Rabakina, in that order. I think they're pretty strong. And But right below that onwards – and there's a lot of space. If I'm Wozniacki, I'm not looking too daunted by honestly almost anybody outside the top three. You know, it goes to there's just some players in the top ten. You know, Pagula is obviously the best of them by ranking now, but Jabur, Goff, Kasakina, she just fell out of the top ten. Uh Sakari. Like these are not it's not the most daunting group right now in the sort of four through twenty five range, let's say, of women's tennis. And I think there is space for Wozniacki, and I also think it's great for the tour, purely on a publicity level, to have a familiar name back in the mix who people will recognize this name and give it a little bit of continuity because it has been tough for tennis, women's especially maybe, uh, just having so much turnover in terms of the top stars in the last 18 months especially, you know, with Barty, Osaka, uh, Federer, Serena, effectively Nadal, because he hasn't barely played this year, like having departed so quickly from the sport. As, as that left a bit of a chasm, I think, for people. And so having a little bit of continuity in the form of Wozniacki and some draws, I think, could be a nice way to get people's uh, feet in the door. So I'm curious I'm curious how she'll play. Also, because she said she was hitting the ball well, which, you know, honestly, she wasn't really known for hitting the ball. Um, you know, but she was... I, I'm curious how she comes out, because I also remember the Justin Annan comeback, um, a 2010 comeback for her. She played a very, very different style than she did the rest of her career. She was much more of a ball basher in 2010 and really just trying to power the ball and got some good results. Didn't win a slam, but made it to a final in her first slam in Australia that year. Yeah. I'm just curious what Wozniacki 2.0 looks like because the 1.0 is very distinct. Uh, and so I'm curious what 2.0 is the sort of regeneration looks like. One more thing. I think it would also be enjoyable <laughs> in a way to see like a proper retriever in, in the mix, because, you know, if, if you look at the top 10 right now, it's, there, there aren't that many players who play that kind of style of, like, you know, a proper defensive mm. player. That, aside, aside from, as you mentioned, Kazakina, who, who's... Sakari uh, a little bit. Player, I think it's Sakari on that, on that a, a bit, spectrum. But, but, yeah, but I mean, she, obviously she has weapons and occasionally, yeah. well, and she does use them. Um, but, yeah, but Wozniacki is kind of... On the extreme end of the spectrum. No, you're right. I'm looking at the I'm looking at all the Wimbledon women's seeds, and there really are not a lot of players who I'd think of being defense first on yeah. there at all. Yeah, I think it it will be beneficial f- 
Robert Todd to have another ret- retriever mm. defensive player back in the mix. Um, someone who can who gets back a lot of balls, who, who keeps players kind of honest in a way. Um, there aren't, if you look at the top 10, there aren't many players who play that kind of style. I remember I was talking to Dasha Kazakino about this in, in one of the recent tournaments and she was saying that she feels lonely in, yeah. in the top 10 right now because players don't really play this similar style to her. So yeah, I think if, if Wozniacki is able to be competitive with the top players, then, um, it, it would add a, another dimension to, to, to the game. Yeah, and I think just sort of absence makes the heart grow fonder for, for Wozniacki a bit. I mean, like, she was so present and so distinct in her year. And like you said, she started so young. People, I think, lose sight of that she was in WTA main draws when she was, like, 16, you know, and she really was a teen phenom. Um, even if she wasn't from a, you know, a big tennis country, you know, that got her a lot of a lot of wild cards. Although she did get, like, some early wild cards into, like, Cincinnati when she was a, uh, a teenager. It would be, it'd be cool to see her again. You know, like I'm, I'm more excited for her in this incarnation in a lot of ways um, than at different points because her game was not always my favorite to watch because it was so passive a lot of times, even when she was number one yeah. and so grindy. But at the same time, like seeing her trying to retool and trying to prove something and, and also just have this comeback narrative gives her different stakes, which I think are really interesting. Um, and and yeah. yeah, at her best when she got, you know, when she won the Australian Open in 2018, that final, especially it was, it was a great final that tournament uh that final against Halop is one of the better uh grandstand finals uh in recent years talk about a couple other off-court topics the wta did a big announcement a few days ago announcing that they are on a path to equal prize money they are planning to have equal prize money at the combined 1000 events by 2027 is the date they set a couple other tournaments uh, canadian open specifically also announced this with great fanfare that's still years off that's still uh four or five years in the distance now, 2027. But the gap at the in pay at the combined events has been widening in recent years. So committing to being equal is a big step. Um, and also the other interesting thing about the, the equality thing, and then we can maybe even go into this next Saudi conversation because I do think they are related. It's weird to say our goal is, our plan is to be equal because you don't entirely know what the ATP is going to be, right? It's not like they're saying we're going to have prize money be X amount by this year, they're saying it's going to be, there's another variable in it. It's whatever the men are, it will be. And yeah. this comes out at the same time as this report that the ATP is in talks with uh, the Saudi investment fund uh, that's, you know, done a lot of Saudi uh, expenditures uh, in various sports and people call sports washing. And Saudi Arabia tries to improve its image on the world stage with these big, big spends in sports. You know, obviously, Famously with Cristiano Ronaldo, right? He's, he's in Saudi Arabia now, I believe, yeah. and uh, and yeah. other things like that. Golf, ATP, yeah, ATP, yeah, golf. Obviously, Live Golf, famously, which just merged with the PGA in a really bizarre deal. The ATP is in there. It's a lot of cash, right? And so, the ATP part of this of this uh, reporting came out first, and then today the WTA is, you know, Steve Sam was talking about having gone to Saudi Arabia for meetings. And Billie Jean King in an interview today, I don't know if it was just the New York Times, I saw the quotes in New York Times, but... Uh, they did a um, 50-year anniversary for the WTA here in London. Yeah. And so Billie Jean King was speaking um, at an event, you know, celebrating that kind of ironic. Yeah, but she gave it her blessing, basically, that's what I was going to say. Like, And that's, for a lot of people, incredibly... It was, first of all, I mentioned it was shocking for people, honestly, that they were, they were just sort of like, wow, Billie Jean King, who's become famous as this icon of feminism and and yeah. champion of LGBT rights 
and in case you missed it, Saudi Arabia not known for its feminism nor its LGBT rights. Yeah, it was jarring people. I will say I'm not as shocked by Billy being on the side of business. I think Billy is a businesswoman very strongly and, you know, was a founder of the tour on a business level and worked very hard to keep the tour afloat on a business level and had a partnership with a cigarette company for decades in this tour, uh, which was also seen as a compromise and a, an unideal way to keep a business afloat. So I think Billy does have some cynicism there and some capitalistic instincts that make me not surprised that she would take the side of of this although i certainly do understand completely why people were taken aback by her 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 giving us her blessing uh in this way yeah what do you what do you make of 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 these two developments i'll also say with wta before we we hand off there's a couple in the details are online i don't want to get too much into the granulars of what they announced basically it's a lot more 500 events and a couple more thousand events and notably, there's 1,000 event that's still like a TBA. It's not assigned yet anywhere on their sort of map. Um, with Wuhan's not back online. Wuhan is not in the list. And Guadalajara, which is hosting one this year and last year, it's not on the list either. So it's possible one of those could come back, but also entirely possible they're saving that for Saudi consideration. And then also the more kind of pressingly and urgently, yet again, the WTA championships still don't have a defined home in the return to China announcement they did months ago, and this is, this is also part of the conversation with Saudi Arabia, the WTA did not say our finals in 2023 will be in Shenzhen. That's not on the list of, of the schedule. It's not listed as Shenzhen. It's blank, that line. The the Elite Trophy Tournament, which is sort of the Constellation cha- uh, year-end tournament, is listed as Zhuhai, but the the big dog tournament is it's blank right now. And that was a big, big contract. People remember with, with Shenzhen, tough to know totally what's going on there, but that's just... I'm saying in terms of WT uncertainty, that's something uh, floating out there still. So, what do you make of what do you make of these developments, and in any way you want to take this? And, and, and just on the last thing you said, it's it's it's, it's almost July. Well, it will be July when this yeah. comes out. So, it's like, and yet again, it's every year of the that pandemic, they have not had they have not had this together. Third July in a row, we don't know where where the year end championships is going to be. The women. Yeah, and that actually that actually leads into um, the, revising the talk calendar and. But that, that topic, it's great to, to to target equal prize money and, and whatever. I, I, I share your concern that we don't know what the the ATP's prize money will, will be in 2027, and and certainly I wouldn't like to see the WTA affected. You know, almost I don't want to say bankrupt, but you know, chasing the the marker set by the ATP and. And hurting it, the organization in the process. Uh, we'll, I'm also old enough to remember the, the roadmap when back in 2009, when the WTA made reforms there and increased increased prize money, and and that was probably the the, the closest the, the tours were in terms of um, in terms of prize money at that point. But of course, <laughs> from that point, it, the, the gap just widened again um, and has continually widened over in, in recent years. Obviously, th- this is a, a different era. The WTA with their, their new um, partnership with with CVC, the private equity firm that bought, yeah. I think, 20, a twenty percent stake in the WTA for um, you know uh, nine figures. Yeah, yeah. For me, I just really want to see the tour actually promote itself and give it give itself the the best chance on in, in its own in its own lane 
you know, promote the, the players, promote the, the sport, make, make it make it appealing for people, make people want to come and see it, which which isn't happening now. You 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 look on the the WTA YouTube page, for example, and it's just shitty three minute. <laughs> so to my language, but bad three minute highlights and nothing else. You know, they they don't they don't have for I think other political reasons they don't have a TikTok page. You know that they're not, and that's just you know that's the social media. But they've not done a good job of promoting the tour itself, and and that needs to be part of any strategy going forward, and not just chasing equal prize money. That's a great point, and I have that's a very good topic to get into. I have joked, but only half jokingly, when I talk about people about how access has gotten a lot tougher for journalists in terms of just areas of terms and also getting people to to agents and the tour representatives to agree to interviews. Um, and I have not been on tour, obviously people know this year, but it's been a trend that I still talk to people and know the direction. I've said half jokingly, the ATP's marketing strategy now is fewer journalists, more Andre Rublev doing video quizzes being adorable. Like that's their strategy and they pump those things out. And you only really see the WTA occasionally when it's sort of a Tennis United vibe to one of those videos. And sometimes the women do show up in those and they kind of cross pollinate a bit, but yeah, there's not much to women. And I think the biggest challenge for the women, and I say this not as a knock to anybody who's currently been playing the tour, there's, I think, an arguably historic lack of star power and household names in women's tennis right now. I, I, what I said, yeah, I said this a little while ago, you know, having Serena leave and having Ash Barty leave at the top and having Naomi go uh, absent all at the same time. And Venus, if you want to, Venus is not, it's relevant to the conversation, actually. That's kind of the state they're in. Like, Venus is kind of cling to that a little bit because she is going to be in the show we're going to talk about her she will be in wimbledon um, and she's played a couple events this, this summer they just need they need some and it's not entirely within their control you know having the the player who breaks through and also i will add raducanu to this too raducanu was a was a big breakout star when she won the u.s open and now she's outside top 100 you know muguruza outside top 100 Contavit was not never a star per se but she's also playing her last tournament at wimbledon we'll, we'll mention her when we get to her in the draw there's just it's a lot of a lot of turnover and a lot of instability. You know, look at I look, I sent that tweet of like, who are the big the five big finals, the five biggest tournaments for WTA in 2021, and almost all those players are inactive now. You know, like it, it's crazy, um, or at least have dropped considerably in the rankings. So yeah, WTA just like and again, this is not meant at all as a knock on Iga Swiatek or Sabalenka as individuals or Rabakina even. But they have not broken through to a wider public outside of their respective home countries. They just haven't. And that's frustrating because I do think each of them has a lot to offer. And for the women's tennis diehards and for the choir, they can feel well served. And there are still people who are certainly plenty enthusiastic about this this tournament and this draws. But something, and this is men have this problem to a lesser extent, but they still have it too. They're still also in a transition period as well, even if Djokovic is still on top and still giving some continuity at the very top line of the sport. And Alcaraz has some traction. But beyond Djokovic and a little bit of Alcaraz, it's a big drop-off for the men, too. So, yeah, it's just... it's, it's just the, I remember talking to Stacey Allister about this years ago uh, when the WTA Finals was moving to Singapore. I believe I was doing an interview with her either in Singapore or when it got announced or whatever. Just talking about Lina and Lina, you know, being a game-changer for them having being an Asian Grand Slam champion who really opened up new possibilities and doors for them, right? And she said, like, look, like, we don't control who wins our tournaments. Like, we have, as a business, 
we have no control over that. That's a complete wild card. But we, what we can do is sort of adjust our, I don't know if you use these words, but something like adjust our sails to the winds and try to, you know, read the currents and the paths as we can best chart our course. And, and Lina obviously created this huge opening in China. Uh, we're not going back to, but yeah, like it's, there's a couple of players who could change things quickly with a win, you know, like a Zhang Qinwen, another Chinese champion, or like a Coco Golf is the sort of main one people talk about in these conversations. Like, man, a Coco Golf could win a Grand Slam, get to number one. That would be a huge game changer for a lot of countries where she's very popular, including the UK, where she gets huge court assignments at Wimbledon. She's on the poster this year and stuff. And yeah. uh, US, obviously, as well. And Australia, she's pretty popular. Like, you know, there's a, and, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I don't think the results are quite clicking there too. So it's a combination of marketing, which is within their control to a, to a large degree. And then the storylines created by results, which they have uh, gotten a lot of their best ones, you know, kind of crumpled up and, and thrown in the corner right now in their ideas in terms of all the names yeah. I mentioned, the Bardi, Osaka, Serena, Raducanu, like that's not all within their control. Like those, they had a lot of seeds planted and just for whatever reason, a, landslide swept the soil away yeah and i, I do think one one of the you know people talk about the marketability of, of the, the current group of WTA players a lot dwindling star power players over um a long period is part of the reason why we're, we're at a point where there are very few players who have that overall reach and i, I mean like often what i mean i think for me one of the most common ways that players become stars and, and, you know, end up reaching new people is, is when they beat the stars of the previous year. And and when, you know, when someone beats Serena, Osaka, yeah. Osaka beats Serena at, at the US Open and becomes a massive star. Um, Andrescu. Yeah. I didn't mention Andrescu, but she's, but Andrescu's in the mix for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, even Goff beating uh, yeah. Venus, who was nowhere near <laughs> her best, but that resonated with people. 100%. But um, it's tough when you have Shiontek who's had incredible results but hasn't even played, you know, hasn't had the opportunity to beat a player like that in a big, big tournament. And yeah, and, and as you said, part, I think part of part of the reason is that players like Osaka and the players that seem were going to, you know, take the baton for various reasons haven't either haven't done it consistently or haven't done it at all. They have dropped the baton. Bluntly, yeah, and and that's that's why that's why we are where we are now. Yeah, no, Andrescu, that torch pass moment that that's what and obviously I'm writing a book about her. You can pre-order it Naomi Osaka, uh, link in link in description. She that was what launched her was that moment, and obviously the special amount of rocket fuel that was poured all over that US Open final because of all the controversy involving Serena and the Chair Empire put Naomi into orbit. And that's one thing I think the men. I will talk about with, with Djokovic this year when we get to the men. And I'm thinking about going to split the draws into a separate episode at this point because there's too much preamble here. Uh, so we'll split <laughs> them up, but we'll record them back to back. It would be so huge for the men to have something like Yannick Sinner beating Djokovic in a Wimbledon final. Have something like that where it's like a moment of torch pass. And we have just had spectacularly not had that in men's tennis with the exception, the one exception of Medvedev beating Djokovic in a uh US Open final. But at that point Medvedev was almost kind of a known quantity. He'd been, you know, made a bunch of finals before and Djokovic really uh faded out in that match and it wasn't especially compelling actual match uh that match. Um but yeah, yeah. like I 
I I think there's a big chance for that for the men to have some continuity there. Yeah, and the women, oh. I I you know actually, I, and it could be something special. Like I actually remember thinking it during the French Open this year. You almost have to kind of go off the board for something like what would be the biggest stories. I thought the biggest story at the French Open would be Svitolina winning. Like that was the the magic, which seemed plausible, honestly, with how how she was playing and she just won a, a title in Strasbourg before and played some great tennis in Paris. Um, yeah, I, I I I look at the draw and I'm not sure quite what what breaks through Wimbledon this year potentially uh, for the women in terms of having that story, but hopefully something percolates and and you know in the same time the the slams will survive. Wimbledon's going to be great because it's Wimbledon. You know the the final will be packed no matter who's in it and same with the semis and whatever else and people will watch it's an occasion but yeah when we talk about building out the equal prize money for the rank and file tour events that's when you need people who are the stars that's where the that's where the that's where you need stars is, is in those sort of um thousands and 500 events yeah i will say um comparing it to, to the atp I, I do think there have been there have been moments when the atp where it seemed like the baton was being passed, or at least that was the narrative created. We, we've seen play because of how present and the big three have been. Yeah. But, but we've, we've seen players be, be Federer, be Nadal, be Djokovic, and, and their profile has, has, um, increased and improved because of that. Sitsipas beating Federer at the, at the Australian Open, I think it's a big example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, and even at, even not even at stands, you think of Shapovalov when he announced himself on, onto the, yeah. onto the tour. In, in in Canada, but obviously the funny thing is that even though those moments have happened, <laughs> Djokovic is still miles ahead of, of everyone else, and year after year, and, and same with you know Nadal when he's been healthy, has still been able to you know go out there and, and pick up slams because they're just that much better. But yeah, it, it, it does. I do think just having those players there, younger players having the opportunity to beat them makes such a big difference to, to audiences and 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 I don't know, just creates a lot more attention and, and that's something that's been lacking on as, as I said it's something that's been lacking on the WTA. Yeah, no, and I think WTA has, has a special attrition problem, right? Where like, and this is sort of people are saying a lot in the context of Contivate announcing her retirement. We'll get to that in a second, but like she was number two at the U.S. Open, you know, like. These are players who are really high up. And even if you look at other players, you know, like Bedosa, who's fallen way out of the top 10. Yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of, a lot of turnover in a way that makes you sort of question, like, why is, why is it unsustainable? Why are women having, these women having such a tough time staying healthy and happy uh, atop the sport? Like, what has been so corrosive about it physically and mentally and emotionally and everything else to create this kind of, this kind of turnover? Because it's not normal, um, but it's concerning honestly also bad transition but like i said also concerning is the length of this preamble which is good we had things to cover so this will be the end of our preamble episode and then we will dive right in uh here to the are you ready to talk about the draws yeah let's talk about the draws all right so this was this was part one of of the episode uh and here's part two <laughs> 